This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles with me this morning as we talk about our Lord's wonderful resurrection. And I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. Today we're going to begin a brand new sermon series called Made New. There are four sermons in this particular series, and I find it most appropriate to begin with this one today. In my opinion, I believe that the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has been the greatest event that has happened in all of human history on the earth. I think the effects of the resurrection when you study it, and we have read these passages many different times, but uh, they have reverberated in many ways all throughout history. When Jesus defeated sin on the cross and defeated death and hell by coming victoriously bodily out of the grave, it's significant to know that the gospel changed everything and put things in a brand new perspective as well. And here in this incredible truth that we're going to be talking about for a few moments this morning, the same power that raised Jesus up out of the grave, the same power that raised him from the dead, that same power is available to you and I today. And that's something that I pray that we can leave here all together with blessed assurance of this morning. It's available to the entire world, not just as the church, not just as the body of Christ, but the power of God. Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. This power is available to the entire world. That's why we rejoice in a scripture like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. There's not one person he cannot save. There's not one person he would not want to save. And I'm so thankful that the power of the gospel can reach every life in every circumstance, no matter what people may be going through today, and I rejoice in that. And when we latch on to this power, this resurrection power, it changes us. It changes us from top to bottom. It renews us and it brings a new spirit within us. But here is a truth that I would like for you to know this morning before we read these scriptures. That without the resurrection, the power of the gospel would not be complete. I want you to think about that just for a moment. You see, we could not be saved if all there was, was a crucifixion. The simple plan of salvation, God's plan of salvation, would not be complete with just a crucifixion, but with both, with his death, the shedding of his blood, God raising him, Jesus, victoriously over the grave, this completes the gospel and the key. Listen now, the key to this transformation, the transformative power 
The key to that is our faith. The just shall live by faith. And so this new life that we're going to be talking about for the next couple of Sundays is unlocked as we place our faith and our hope and our trust in the finished work of Christ. Now I'd like for you to notice with me in Matthew chapter 28, and I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 8. Follow along with me. They'll get these scriptures on the screen. At least I hope they will anyway. Matthew 28, look at this, beginning in verse number 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now, you have to get that part of the story. So many times we often fast forward that, but this is significant. The keepers did shake and they became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Can somebody say amen? As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, now Jesus is speaking, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. The Bible tells us in this story, and I want to rehearse it just for a moment, that at dawn, two women named Mary, they traveled to the grave of Jesus, the tomb of Jesus. In fact, other places in the scriptures tell us that these women had come to anoint his body for burial. The scripture would go on to say that they would prepare him with ointments and spices called aloe and myrrh. In the process, suddenly a violent earthquake took place, as we have just read in these passages, and the ground they were standing upon began to violently shake, and an angel of the Lord appeared and rolled the stone away from the tomb entrance. In the scriptures, as we read it, it gives a clear description of the appearance of these angels and the clothing that they were wearing the scripture says, like lightning, bright raiments. The guards who were watching, who were placed over in front of the tomb, 
They were watching over the grave, and according to the scriptures, they were just as terrified as the women were. In fact, the Bible says they fell down as dead men. But the angel began to speak tenderly to them. He spoke a word of comfort. And when I thought about that, this word of comfort is pronounced over people nearly 365 times all throughout the scriptures. I want to reference two passages in this text again. In Matthew 28, verse number 5, I want you to see this. Matthew 28, 5, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. And then look in Matthew 28, verse 10, the word says this, then said Jesus unto them, be not afraid. It sort of like reminds me of what took place between the Old Testament and the New Testament. When Malachi the prophet, who was the last writer of the Old Testament, laid his pen down, when God had finished speaking to him, some of you may not realize this, but there were 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those are the years known as the silent years of the Scripture, where God did not show up in a burning bush. He didn't show up in a pillar of fire. He didn't show up in a fiery furnace. God didn't show up in those kind of ways. It doesn't mean that he wasn't active. It didn't mean that he wasn't busy. It didn't mean that he didn't have things to do, but in that segment of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years, known as the silent years of the Bible, God was choosing to work and manifest himself in different ways, different ways than signs and wonders. And so when the New Testament, the New Covenant was unfolding, the Word teaches us that he was now going to demonstrate himself in even greater ways. But here's the thing. Immediately when the New Testament, the New Covenant, it starts to unfold, angels, after 400 years of silence, begin popping up everywhere. And the message that was coming out of their mouth to the people was, fear not, fear not, fear not. You can read it over and over, especially in the Christmas story. And so when I thought about this, and how I have entitled the message beginning this series today and three more to come, Faith in Christ Makes Us New. And I want to talk about that because it demolishes all fear. You see, Easter is not a time for fear. It's a time for joy. That was the message of the angel. That was the message of Jesus. Fear not, be not afraid. I want you to think with me just for a moment of the millions of people all over the world today who do not have peace in the one that they worship. Out of all the ideologies and out of all the religions and beliefs that this world contains, millions upon millions of people have no peace today. They don't have peace in the one that they worship. But think about this. There are millions and millions of people all over the world today who do not even worship at all. And that's sad. 
When Jesus gave the great commission, he said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And one of the signs of the times is that before the Lord Jesus returns, according to scripture, the gospel would have penetrated all corners of the earth. I've mentioned this many, many times. You think about the churches that we have from Midlothian Turnpike all the way down to Huguenot Road. And you can just categorize them in different denominations and faiths all along this road. But do you know there are people in our city today that's never heard the story one time? Or probably could not tell you the story if they've heard it one time. They are consumed by religion. Many people in our city have religion. But religion is about what you can do. And there are so many denominations today that have built their foundations on what they can do. If I can just work so many hours, if I could just do this, if I could just do that. But I remind you of the scriptures today. Salvation is not about what we can do. Not of works of righteousness, which we have done. That's what the scriptures say. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of your works. And when a person comes to Christ, yes, it's important that we get busy and that we serve the Lord. We work because we're saved. We don't work to be saved. But in this community that we live in, the city that we live in, and the regions beyond, listen, there are people who are consumed with religion and religion is about what you can do. But the victory song that we have this morning and the, and the glory of the cross and the power of the resurrection is that it's not about what we can do. It's about what has been done. And that is through the marvelous grace of Jesus. Now, according to the scriptures, the women, after this initial experience, they ran off to find the other disciples no longer were they filled with joy that was questionable. Is he gone? Is he there? Is he here? Whatever fears that they had, it was all rested. It was not speculation. It was assurance. They had joy unspeakable at this time. I want to share with you three quick points about Easter, perhaps in a way that we've not talked about it before. I could give you all of the story this morning. And uh, you could probably, as many people in here, could stand and tell the story. We know the events. <clears throat> but Easter confronts our fears and offers us joy. And that's exactly what Jesus did on the very first Easter. He said this, don't be afraid. You and I know it both, that we live in a world today <clears throat> that is consumed with fear. All over the world not just in America, but all over the world, there is a consumption of fear. But one of the things that strikes me is this, that as many people as there are in the world who are dominated and controlled by fear every single day, it's a shame when we think that the church, and I'm talking about the body of Christ, also at times, are paralyzed with fear. On any given Sunday, and I think about here just for a moment, I'm sure that there are people from all walks of life, every direction, north, south, east, and west, people who come to church 
sometimes depressed or they feel despair. Maybe there's some people here this morning that feel that you're on your final thread. You've already tied the knot and you're just trying to barely hang on. I wonder how many actually walk in the doors of our church and they fear that their lives will never change, that the present circumstances, whatever it is that you're going through, will always be what it is. People feel their lives will never change. They fear that circumstances won't change. They fear that their marriage that is struggling cannot be rescued. They fear some kind of diagnosis uh, as a foregone conclusion. And listen, I think for, for too many of us, even as believers, our, our lives are dominated by fear and anxiety and perplexity. And perhaps this morning, somebody came to church today wanting desperately to hear this message of the angel, fear not. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to be reassured of these words of Jesus in the world that you live and the troubles or trials that you're going through. Don't be afraid. The psalmist said this in Psalms 27, verse number one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? And in Psalms 56, verse number four, the word says, in God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And so Easter is a source of great joy for believers. We're filled with joy because of the resurrection power and how it's able to affect our life and radically change our life and make everything new around us. The empty tomb means this, that your past, whatever you're going through, and I'm going to speak more about that next Sunday, but your past, whatever it consists of, can be made new. The empty tomb means that we have hope for now and we can have hope for the future, every single one of us. The empty tomb means that your life today can be radically changed and be made different no matter what you're going through, no matter what your struggle is, no matter what your heartache is, your sorrow is. That's our hope. And that blessed hope comes through the gospel, through the power of the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead to give us the promise of our own rising as well. The resurrection is the great antidote for the fear of death. So whatever you may be fearing this morning, because the world is saturated in it, nothing else can take the place of the joy that the gospel can bring. And no matter where you find yourself today, the empty tomb pushes back against our fear and reminds us that the best is yet to come. I'm glad this is not all there is, amen? Aren't you glad there's a brighter day coming? There's hope for tomorrow. There's the promise of the Lord that he is going to return. The second thing real quick this morning, I want you to see this, that a proper response to Easter, as Jesus said, be not afraid. The angel said, don't be afraid. The proper response to Easter today is faith. And I get this. Sometimes this one little word is a cliche was a word that is used a lot of times in the church. It's a word that we have inserted into our vocabulary. And I think to some degree, we understand its meaning, but I'm not sure how much of the depth of it we understand. I mean, we have all kinds of faiths and things. Some of us this morning put faith in what people tell you. 
what I've come to realize this, that not everything everybody tells you is the truth. I've learned that through difficult times, through hardships. I've learned it in days of yesterday. I've learned it in days of today. Not everything everybody tells you is the truth, but people put faith in words. I wonder how many got in their car this morning and right before you turned your engine on, you reached for your seatbelt and strapped it up. We put faith in our seatbelts. We put faith in the medicines we take. We, we put faith in the people at the grocery store when we go buy our food that the food is not spoiled, contaminated, or, or any of those things. All kinds of things. We put our simple faith in. We don't give it a single thought. We don't think about those things. I'm trusting this seatbelt to keep me safe. We don't. That's probably not a thought that has entered into anybody's mind, but yet we all did it today, probably. All kinds of things. But the kind of faith that the Bible, the Word of God is speaking about is a deep trust in someone who did what they said they were going to do. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, when the women came to the tomb, would they have faith that Jesus was indeed alive? I'm sure there was some speculation about that. When they got there, maybe the thought came to their mind, did somebody come and steal his body? He said he was going to rise, but is this really real? You think about that. And by the way, the resurrection is something you've got to personally come to a conclusion about yourself. Jesus said that he would rise again. Do you really believe that he did? According to the scriptures, God raised him on the third day. And this, I believe, has been a defining question for 2,000 years. Everybody's got to answer that question. Everybody's got to come to grips with that. Did Jesus really die on the cross? Did God really raise him from the dead? Can we really trust in the resurrection that we talk about, we sing about today? I mean, do we really believe that the power of God that raised Jesus can transform our life and make us new as well? Well, Paul addressed that question in the scriptures, and I want you to see this passage of scripture just for a moment in Romans chapter 10, verse number 9. And he, he makes a very clear, proper response to the empty tomb thing. This is what he says about the gospel and our faith. In Romans 10, verse 9, he said, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, look at this, thou shalt be saved. Now you think about that just for a moment. The way to experience the power of God that can make us new is really a two-step process. One is, Paul is saying that you first must declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I mean, we've got to acknowledge Jesus as the Savior of the world. There's no hope in anything else. And yes, he is the only way. It, it makes no difference what we think or what we feel or how we position ourselves in political correctness. Listen, I'm not here to offend anybody, but I want everybody to know that there's no other way to heaven but through the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of all the denominations and faiths and religions on the earth, there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But look at this. Not only do we acknowledge Jesus as the only antidote, the only hope, the only Savior, 
But we must receive him as our own personal savior. We've got to invite him in. The second thing is this. Paul says that we must believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. That's imperative. You see, our hearts must be convinced through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God, that this is real, that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He took my place. He became my vicarious substitute. He died for you. He died for me. He took our place on the cross. And acknowledging that, being convinced of that, that the power of God is real, that's the first step in intellectual exercise. But the second step is trust, is faith. I think that's why Paul could say with much confidence, for me to live as Christ and to die as game. And then I want you to notice something three. Number three here. We need to allow Jesus to take the old and to make it new. After the Lord's resurrection, there's an amazing transformation in the lives of the disciples. When they received the word gladly, they were busy spreading the gospel, spreading the good news. And that is exactly what should take place in our hearts and our lives today. I want to show you a scripture that I'm going to make my last point with this morning. But I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17, because I think oftentimes we miss the brightness of this passage and certainly the realness of it. We're talking about faith in Christ, and especially on this Easter Sunday, how that makes and can make everything new. Paul said it this way, therefore, if any man be in Christ, how does a person get in Christ? You're not born in Christ. You can't work your way into Christ. How does a man get in Christ? If any man be in Christ, we call upon the name of the Lord, according to the scriptures, and the word says, and thou shalt be saved. If any man be in Christ, look at this. He's a new creature. All things are passed away. I want to share something with you about regeneration this morning very quickly. Behold, all things are become new. Paul said that when people put their faith in Jesus, that they become new creations. I got to thinking about that. The first creation took place in the garden way back in Genesis. God created humankind without sin. He placed them there to exist in a perfect relationship with him. And then the Bible says that after a period of time, sin entered into the world. It broke everything. It put humanity in despair. Man could no longer walk freely and comfortably and at peace with God in the garden. That's why Jesus did what he did. That's why he came to die. That's why God raised him from the dead. And what is so interesting is that the body of Jesus is laid in a tomb in a garden. This garden thing... A couple of years ago, I preached a series on Wednesday night, Meeting God in the Garden. Some of those thoughts rushed into my mind as I was preparing this sermon, but it's in this second garden that a new creation takes place. According to the scripture here, all of our old ways of living are replaced with new ones. Now, this is going to affect a lot of people in heart today, and I, I pray that you will take it to heart. When we ask the Lord Jesus to come into our heart and to be our Savior, he doesn't perfect us. 
to the place where we no longer sin. We will sin until the day that we get a glorified body. But what he does is this. There's a transformation that takes place within all of us when we accept the Lord as our Savior. I mean, he makes us a new creation. He radically changes everything about us. He doesn't make us perfect. He gives us conviction. Let me share with what I mean. Back in the late 60s and the early 70s, there was a movement being birthed in California out of a ministry called Calvary Chapel. Now, I'm not a big fan of that. I'll tell you why in a minute, but it existed. The pastor back in those days, his name was Chuck Smith. He was the founder of the original Calvary Chapel. He had just a handful of people. By the way, there's a new movie out about the Jesus people, the revolution that took place in the late 60s and 70s. I don't recommend it. Some movies I do, this one I don't. But anyway, back in those young years, there was a movement coming out of Calvary Chapel in California, pastored by Chuck Smith, who had just a handful of people. But then this radical individual came along. His name was Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee was of the hippie movement, which was running strong back in those days. And uh, he had this charisma about him that he, he did have an influence on all of the, uh, the hippie scene that we, we just have in our distant memories. And he would bring in, this, this, this thing just started to erupt. About the same time that this was happening, there was a great preacher by the name of David Wilkerson. I don't know how many of you ever heard of David Wilkinson. They made a movie about him, The Cross and the Switchblade. And uh, he was a great preacher. David Wilkerson had come on the scene with a great ministry about the same time that Lonnie Frisbee and these Jesus people were being birthed in California. And the message of these Jesus people Back in my day, they called them Jesus freaks. But maybe you know what I'm talking about. You've heard the statement. It, it was an entire cultural movement. And what the message, this is why I'm so against it, because I want to explain something to you about if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things become new and how this thing of regeneration works. When this was taking place in the 1960s, the message from these people were this. You can, you can follow Jesus. You can follow Jesus anywhere. And while you're following Jesus, you can still smoke your weed. You can still take LSD. Somebody might say, well, that's the kind of Jesus I want. But in all seriousness, that's what they were doing. They were living their lives as if nothing mattered. Nothing happened. In the Old Testament, the people said, the word says that the people were living 
and did as they well pleased in their own eyes. And that's what this movement back in the late 60s, early 70s was all about. Follow Jesus, but live like you want to live. David Wilkerson stepped up and he said, I'm going to challenge that. And so he debated these Jesus people. Maybe you've read about this. There were four predominant individuals in that debate. And David Wilkerson said, listen, I don't get the message that you're pushing. He said, the way that I see the scriptures that if you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, he doesn't make you perfect, but he radically comes in and changes your life. Which means this. The things of the world. God sets apart within this thing called the new birth. That's why it's called the new birth, being born again. God sets apart the motivation of what we do now as believers and then what compared to as what we did when we were lost. When a person gets born again, the Holy Spirit comes in and he gives us a different motivation. He gives us a new drive. He gives us a new passion. He doesn't make us perfect and we still will sin, but we are no longer governed by sin, motivated to sin. Think about sin. Think about all this stuff we can do. Now, the Jesus movement back in the late 60s and early 70s, that's not the message they were putting. They were saying, listen, you can follow Jesus and do all you want to do, it's just love Jesus, love Jesus. I agree with that message. Love Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. But this is the thing that I want you to understand. When Jesus comes in, if any man be in Christ, the blood of Jesus, the death on the cross, the power that God raised Jesus from the dead. Listen, God, through the process of regeneration, God does not clean, just clean our old nature. You got to think through that. God gives us a new nature. Doesn't just clean up the old one. He gives it. Well, hey, isn't that what the word says? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. So God's not, when we get saved, listen, God's just not giving our old nature a scrub down, sending us out in life and say, hey, I hope you make it. No. When he comes in, it's a transformation. He makes all things new. He gives us a new new thought process. He gives us a new vocabulary. We don't talk like the world. We don't act like the world. It doesn't mean we're perfect and that we'll always score our touchdown every time we open our mouth everywhere we go. That doesn't mean that at all. But when a person is truly born again, listen, things of the world, we're not governed by those things anymore. We don't just live loose and free and just say, follow Jesus and do what we want to do. The Holy Spirit comes in. He gives us a new nature. We're governed now by the Spirit of God, not by the old flesh. And when that happens, the thing that we have now that we didn't have then 
is the power of God that brings great conviction through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, will say, in the weakness of our flesh, no, stop. Don't do that. When we were governed by the flesh, we had no regulator at all, but sometimes a weak conscience that kicked in every now and then. So the thing that I want you to understand is this. The power of the blood, the power of the resurrection, it's much more than saying, I'm a Christian or I'm going to follow Jesus. Easter makes all things new because, yes, the blood and the empty tomb. And when a person receives the Lord as their own personal Savior, again, I want you to get this. God doesn't just give our old nature a rub down a shake-up, a shower. He gives us a new one. And when he gives us a new nature, it changes everything. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.